Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the Hockey News Podcast. Welcome to the Hockey News Podcast. I am Ryan Kennedy, joined by Ken Campbell. Matt Larkin is still on Matt leave. Uh, No pun intended, but yeah, pun intended. Uh, He'll be back next week. We don't have a lot of on-ice hockey to talk about, but we certainly have some important topics to discuss, beginning with the fact that we're still trying to figure out when the NHL will return. And there are some stumbling blocks, financially speaking, because of the COVID-19 pandemic. The NHL and the NHLPA are still negotiating not only when they'll return, but how much they will each be receiving monetarily when they return. Ken, what's the deal? Where's your level of optimism right now in terms of a return to play for the 2020-21 season? Well, there's going to be a season. There's going to be a season. There's just, there's far too much for both sides to lose. Um, You know, if the NHL doesn't play this season, then their broadcast agreement with NBC rolls over for another year and they don't have the opportunity to to uh, to uh, negotiate a new one uh, that's going to be much more lucrative and, and much better for them on maybe multiple platforms um, for the players. You know, I mean, it's it's really it's it's really difficult for players not to play and to lose that year and to you know especially a lot of older players. Um, but I was talking to an agent last night and he said, you know, in his and he's been an agent for a long time and he said his his kind of experience with players was. You know, they, they kind of roll with whatever's put in front of them and they, they don't get too engaged. But this time they're engaged and they're, they're upset. They're pissed off, mm-hmm. um, as probably almost everybody knows. Uh, you know, they, they signed the collective bargaining agreement like five months ago. It called for 20% escrow this year and, and 10% deferral. The league has come back, wants to bump that deferral up to 26% and the escrow up to 25%. And the players are angry they are very very angry um it's a bit of a shell game though because um that money's gonna have to be paid back at some point by the players you know it's either going to be a short-term pain or you know longer term game longer term pain uh and a lot of guys structured their contracts for the last three years of the of the collective bargaining agreement when the escrow was only supposed to be six percent and now the league's talking about well if we don't have escrow and higher escrow now we're going to have it later. And those guys are like, wait, I just, you know, I just did this because that's what it was supposed to be. Um, so they're, from what I've been told, you know, they're still working away at the return to play, a, a lot of the business things, but they are at a log jam with this, uh, with this situation. The players are not happy and the players are of the opinion that the NHL cannot shut down, cannot arbitrarily shut down. And the NHL, it, all comes down to language in the collective bargaining agreement. There's an article five, there's paragraph 17 of the standard players contract where the league can turn and say, yes, we absolutely do. And the players can read it a different way and say no. So there's a real 
to me, there's a real philosophical divide right now. And in terms of the players' hearts and minds, um, there's a real divide there as well. Mm, to paraphrase Rihanna, Bettman better have my money. Um, I think it's really interesting, you know, because there is obviously big financial ramifications here. And it, it's tough because, you know, we always ask the players to take cuts for the better of the sport. But the owners, I mean, these are the ones that for the most part, it's always been my opinion that you don't make money off the hockey team you own. You make your money off other stuff. And the hockey team is kind of your trophy. It's, you know, if, if you're sort of giving back to your community, it's something that you can have for your city. And, you know, it's, it's like your show pony. Um, so for me, it's always like with the owners, you know, I think you want to have that season because even though you're going to lose money now, you want to make sure that this league continues to climb in revenue in the long term. And yes, this is a bit of a gulf as it is for many industries around the world and many leagues, but you get your money back when you sell the team. Right. And the league has to, it's kind of a, it's a bit of a Ponzi scheme in that regard where, you know, you have to sell it to somebody for a higher amount of money, but everything becomes inflated over time. And that's also why we have, you know, the expansion fees that we've seen uh, first with Vegas and then Seattle with these gaudy sums of money. But it's like, well, you want to own a major North American sports franchise? This is what it costs because we only have so many of them. And most of the people that own them don't want to sell them. So if you want to pay the price, it's going to be a high one. So I always feel like we kind of let the owners off the hook because you know, fans just want to have games and they see the players as, you know, these guys making millions of dollars and they say, well, you know, what does it matter if you lose, you know, a couple of hundred grand, but at the same time, it's like, they work for billionaires. Those guys can lose, you know, they can lose more money than I'm ever going to make and still be okay. Um, Billionaires against millionaires. Like that's exactly right. And when you've got that dynamic, who wins most of the time? The billionaires. This is true. The billionaires yeah. usually win. There are going to be changes. It's it's just a matter of what the players are willing to accept at this mm. point. And right now, they're not in the mood to accept anything. But I think they're going to get ground down. And you know, a lot of the owners have looked at the NBA return to play and the, and and what they did with their players' association, and they're saying we should have done better. There are there are a handful of owners even this year that don't even want to play at all. Um, so yeah, so, I mean, you've got a real sort of, uh, interesting dynamic there. Yeah. And the other side of the coin here is when do they actually start to play? Because, you know, we, we have been looking at a January 1st start and it's loosely around when the NBA wants to start a little bit later than basketball, but we are hearing right now that that's kind of up in the air, you know, not only because of the, the financial uh, ramifications, but also just because, you know, the pandemic has become so much worse in North America than it was during the Stanley Cup playoffs and the qualifying round before that. So where's your level of optimism in terms of the NHL starting in early January? Oh, it's, it's almost zero. Um, just, I mean, just because we're running out of runway, you know, I mean, what day is today? December 1st, right? 
We're at December 1st. So they want to start January 1st. They've got to get an agreement with the players. They've got to get a return to play uh, protocol in, a, in, in place. They've got to give time for the teams that didn't make the bubble playoffs last year to have a bit of a head start on training camp. You've got to have a training camp. You've got to work. Like, it just to me, it seems like you've run out of runway already. So to me, I, I don't think like January 1st to me is, is a pipe dream. I, I think it's going to be mid-January to early February at the earliest. And I'm telling you right now, I mean, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League just shut down. They've, they tried to do this. They tried. They really did, you know. Um, they tried in a more conventional sense to have teams traveling to and from cities to play games. And they of 189 games, they canceled 97 of them. Uh, so almost half of their games ended up getting postponed. Um, they've just knocked off another 64 because they've closed down for the Christmas holidays. Uh, they were supposed to go until December 19th. They've basically said, forget it. We're coming back in January. And now they're talking about if the pandemic isn't, you know, going in a good, in a good direction, which I really don't see it doing that. Uh, they're going to go back into bubbles um into a couple of bubbles i i can see the quebec league going back and being a bubble league again this year for sure so to me the only way that you can pull this off without any hitches and without any interruptions is in a bubble and that's not going to happen so i think mm. you know even the league is going to have to build in time i think in that schedule that they're going to have for hiccups for for teams to be shut down for a while for you know what if like I mean, the, the maritime provinces have just closed their, closed their borders. What if in the middle of this, BC just says, okay, that's it. We're closing our border. What happens, you know, to the Canucks where they're going to have to find another place to play or, you know, so I, I think there's going to have to be some time built into any model that they have um, that's going to allow for them to, to, to be able to, you know, sort of <laughs> call an audible. Yeah. And, you know, I know speaking with folks in the Quebec League, uh, you know, teams are already bidding to host the, uh, the next bubbles because, you know, they had the one in Quebec City. It was seven teams. Um, you know, Quebec City is one of the few locations that can handle seven teams uh, just because they have an NHL arena there with the Centre Videotron. But what they're looking at for the, the next bubbles are, are smaller ones, maybe, you know, like a four-team bubble. Uh, I, I think maybe even a six-team bubble has been discussed. But, you know, with four teams, you can sort of expand uh, – you know, your, your footprint there. So they're already looking at bubbles in January. And, you know, I would say the, the only beneficiaries of a later NHL start will be uh, Team Canada and Team USA at the World Juniors, because it means that Kirby Doc can stay with Canada instead of returning to the Chicago Blackhawks for training camp. And Nick Robertson with the Toronto Maple Leafs, he can play for Team USA instead of going to camp with the Maple Leafs. So those are like the only two situations that work out for anybody right now. Um, Ken, you mentioned the Quebec League. Also, um, Mount Royal University in Calgary just had 18, uh, was it players or just people uh, on they the didn't, team? They didn't, they didn't say, they said among the coaching staff and players, there were 18 right. positive tests. So, yeah. Well, let's say members of Mount Royal test positive. Um, how are we feeling about just hockey in general right now? You know, we've seen delays in junior A. Really, the only major leagues playing right now 
are the USHL and the NAHL. And uh, there have obviously been uh, a lot of postponements in the USHL, depending on you know, local counties and how they've ruled on players. Um, and the NHL has been pretty hyper local. You know, teams are really sticking to um, you know, opponents close in their geographic area. So where do we see the next sort of month or so? Is it gonna be a long, dark winter as Joe Biden has said? I, I, I'm thinking it is. I, I don't feel really, I don't feel really good about the prospects here. I mean, because as I've said, any league, any league that has tried to do it in a conventional sense, at least in North America, any league that has tried to do it without a bubble has either suffered everything from, you know, hiccups to full-blown outbreaks and shutdowns and games canceled or postponed or whatever. I mean, you look at the Quebec League now, you know, God bless them. They, they tried and they, they tried their best and, you know, they had 20 million reasons to try their best. Uh, that was how much money they were getting from the provincial government. Um, but, I mean, I was looking. There's a couple of teams that have played 16 games and I think Sherbrooke has played five. You know, yeah. I mean, so, you know, there's a big disparity there. The uh, Manitoba League has shut, the Manitoba Junior League has shut down. The Alberta Junior League has shut down. I'm not sure about the BCHL. Ontario never got started. Um, and, and, so, and so, you know, it just, to me, I'm getting, the more I see what's happening and the more I see where this pandemic is going, the more I'm convinced that the only way you can do it without major, major, major problems is to put your players in a bubble. And that's not, that's not a starter for the players. They're not interested in doing bubbles. They're not even interested in doing short-term bubbles. Cause I know the NHL had talked about, you know, two weeks in, you play, you go in two weeks, you play like seven or eight games, you come out, you go back home and then you go back into a short-term bubble again. And the players were like, nah, we don't want that either. So, I, and the only way to me that I can see that you can do it without major, major problems is to have these guys in a bubble and, and the players just don't want that. Yeah. And I think the, the lessons we've seen so far, if you're going to do this bubble scenario is you really have to isolate everyone two weeks before you go in uh, again, you know, I was talking to officials with the Quebec league and they were saying that's, that's what they did for the Quebec city bubble is every team was isolated for 14 days. Then they were tested you know, before they went into the bubble in Quebec City, they were tested during the tournament as well. And then you look at, you know, Canada's World Junior team, and they didn't have the same isolation protocols, and they got zapped for it. And right. now everybody in camp is just sitting around doing nothing. Uh, well, they have exercise bikes uh, from the good people of Red Deer, so they got that going for them. But, you know, they're just sitting around. And these are, you know, you have to feel bad for the NCAA kids like Alex Newhook and Devin Levy and, and Dylan Holloway who left teams that were still playing games or were about to, although Levy's Northeastern squad is, is, has been delayed, but you know, Newhook could have been playing with Boston college on the weekend and Holloway could have been playing with Wisconsin, but they're just sitting around a hotel room right now playing, uh, you know, online poker tournaments with their fellow campers and, and listening to guest speakers. And it's a, a, a pretty tough situation. So, I mean, that's the sacrifice that has to be made if you want to have any games. And I think what we're probably going to see, you know, realistically in the, 
in the developmental leagues is they're just going to play what they can. And, you know, I mean, players, they're just, they need something to look forward to and that's games. You can only practice so much and, you know, you're obviously going to have to do everything by points percentage uh, heading into whatever semblance of a playoff eventually happens or maybe doesn't happen at the end of the season. But I can understand at the NHL level where the guys might not have the same thirst to be, you know, separated from their families for, for big stretches. Um, on the positive side of the ledger, I guess I'll call it the positive side, the NWHL, uh, the Professional Women's League, they are heading into a bubble for their entire season. Uh, but it won't be that long, uh, just a couple of weeks, and they're going to do playoffs at the end as well. Uh, but they will have a season, and that's good news for the players there. They're going to be paid for their full season as if it was normal. And, uh, and there is the new team, the Toronto Six. Um, so, Ken, what do you think about the NWHL going all in at one time? Well, like I said, like I've been saying, I think that's the only way it's going to work. And this should work. And I, I think, you know, I mean, obviously it's not ideal. I mean, they're, they're going to have a two-week season. They're going to play like, uh, you know, 15 games, and then they're going to have a playoff, and then they're going to have the semifinal and the final, and it's, it's all going to be wrapped up in two weeks. And it's, but part of me wants to say that this could be something really positive for women's hockey. And I'll tell you why. Because this is, to me, a perfect made-for-TV event. It lasts two weeks. It lasts two weeks. You know, you got a couple, you got a game a day every day for two weeks. You've got, you know, all of this. It's a perfect made for TV event that, you know, I mean, and, and sports networks are starving for content right now. Like I watched 1981 Canadians against the Oilers game two of their first round series. I watched that when I was in grade 13. I was on my, my, the couch at my girlfriend's house screaming at the TV because the Canadians were looking so terrible, but it was like terrible. It was terrible to watch now. Um, you know, so to me, I, I mean, I, I would, I know they have this, they have the thing with something called Twitch, whatever that is. What do the kids call? I don't know. Right. The kids. It's a gamer. It's a it's gamer something website. With the kids, something with the kids. Yeah. But to me that, that like, if there's a made for TV event for hockey, this is it. And mm. I, I would like to, you know, I, I would like to see, someone step up and say, yeah, we are going to televise this tournament. And then, and then you get to see women's hockey for two weeks and then, you know, it raises the profile. So I, I, I hope that in some way it can help. It can be a help, uh, you know, making the best of a bad situation. Yeah. The irony is that Twitch probably has a way bigger viewership than any sports network in North America. I mean, it, it truly is an online powerhouse. Um, and I agree. I think, this is an opportunity to show off uh, the talents of these players, to show off these teams and to get that exposure, even if it's in, uh, you know, a short concentrated burst, because you're right. I mean, there's not a lot going on right now in terms of entertainment. And if you can get just a, just a foothold and just remind people that there's high level hockey going on, I, I think, you know, with the right sort of packaging, if you can get, you know, some personality pieces interspersed. I mean, when these women are playing hockey, they're just going to be hanging around the hotel. So you might as well, you know, do some interviews, do some little profile pieces. 
I, I think it is a, a great opportunity. And, you know, it's tough because two weeks seems like it's, it's not long enough. But, I mean, you're right. It's, it's almost like having an Olympics where you can get really excited about something and really sort of crack into it for a short period of time. And hopefully, you know, for, for casual fans, it leads a lasting impression. And when we're finally out of the woods, people say, I remember that yeah. run that the Riveters had during the pandemic. That was amazing. So, uh, you know, I, I agree with you. I think, uh, I think it was the right call because, yeah, you're not going to be able to finagle your way through this pandemic. And, you know, I, I think the fact that they're, they're getting these games online, uh, I think that's a big win for them, given the platform, and uh, it's a great opportunity. Um, we will do one more pandemic topic before we move on. And this is sort of more of a grassroots item, I will say. And, you know, I've seen a lot of this on social media from coaches and parents of players that they really feel like minor hockey is getting a raw deal throughout North America. This, you know, this goes everywhere where, you know, a lot of businesses are still open. In some places, bars are still open. Um, schools are open. Kids are going to classes, uh, but they can't play hockey. Hockey has been, um, you know, postponed or forbidden in uh, a lot of these areas. Do you feel like hockey's getting a bit, a bit of a raw deal? Is, is hockey getting scapegoated as a potential you know, super spreader event when we have other things open, depending on where you live? Yeah, you know what? I don't think so. I, I mean, hockey is not school, okay? Like school is every day of the week, 100 days out of 100, school is more important than hockey. And kids have to be taught and they have to go to school. And, and it's a big part of their, their, their mental health and their socialization and all that other stuff. So I'm, I'm all for them going to school if they can, if they can manage that, that without it being a spread. And from what I understand from the numbers that I've seen and what I've read, you know, school has not been, there haven't been a lot of clusters of infections coming from schools. Um, you know, businesses, we're here in Toronto where there's that push and pull all the time where small businesses are closing. Meanwhile, Costco and, and Walmart are able to, you know, to, to pick up all the customers that they want. Um, there's no real good answer to this, um, but I think you have to err on the side of caution if you're a hockey association or a hockey league. And, and right now that is basically keeping kids off the ice and when they're on the ice, monitoring it so that there is a fair bit of distance between them. And I actually did just, just did a piece uh, for the upcoming issue of the hockey news, kind of looking at the other side of this and saying, you know, is there an upside to this? You know, is there an upside to parents dropping their kids off at the arena and not being able to watch? Oh yeah, there's an upside to that. <laughs> you want to believe yeah. there's an upside to that. Um, there also was like, you know, there's been a, a, a like I've talked. I talked to Corey McNabb at, at Hockey Canada, the director of hockey op, um, hockey operations, and he was saying, you know, teams are working on skills a lot more. You know, they're 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 doing a lot more skill work rather than systems because they're not playing games. So what's the point of what's the point of developing a four check system if you're not playing against anybody? 
Maybe we can work on our stick handling and our face-offs and our skating and our edging and that kind of thing. And he's noticed a lot of that. Um, so I, I think, you know, there can be, again, this isn't ideal. It's not good. It's not the situation any of us wants. But I think you can make a positive out of it. And I think in, in terms of minor hockey, you know, playing in smaller groups, um, you know, and, and like for a lot of elite hockey players, they're, they're doing their online schooling and then they go for their, go for their training at like one o'clock in the afternoon instead of, you know, playing at 10 o'clock at night. And they, like I talked to uh, John Wynn Stanley, who's now the assistant GM of the North Bay Battalion. He said, you know, guys have changed their whole sleep schedules. You know, they've changed their whole training schedules. And so for elite players, I think here's the time where you have to really become 20% better, right? Because then you can, you, you know, you can do those workouts. You can get the recovery you need. You, you know, you can, you can work on your game. You can work on your skills. And I think that's the way we have to kind of frame it you know, at a time like this. That's interesting. And I will say, you know, from that skills perspective, you know, one of the leading skills coaches in the world right now, Daryl Belfry, who works with the Toronto Maple Leafs, works with the Chicago Steel in the USHL, has his own camps. Um, you know, he's worked with Patrick Kane. Um, you know, he's worked with tons of guys over the years. He always emphasized practicing skills over actual games. You know, his camps, they were not a bunch of scrimmages. It was all about learning skills and then implementing them or at least trying them uh, once you eventually got to the games, but it was always skills versus games. So that is interesting. I, I totally agree. You have to err on the side of caution. My concern is just, you know, when I hear about all these other things that are open and going on and, you know, you have huge anti-mask rallies where the cops just stand there doing nothing. Um, but at the same time, the same municipalities are saying you can't have 10 kids on the ice at the same yeah. time playing against each other. That to me is where things get out of whack. And yeah, it's unfortunate and obviously safety comes first. Um, but it just seems like there's some really odd uh, decisions being made out there. So we'll end on that talk and let's do a little bit of NHL hot stovery before we get to the mailbag. Tampa Bay re-signed defenseman Mikhail Sergachev, uh, three-year packed, $4.8 million per Great contract in a vacuum, uh, but the Tampa Bay Lightning have a little bit of an issue on their hands in that they are already over the cap by about $2 million, if I'm not mistaken, and they have yet to re-sign Anthony Sorelli, and they have yet to re-sign Eric Chernak. So we know that they've tried to move Tyler Johnson's contract already. It didn't work the first time when they waived him. You know, there has been talk of trading him and giving up an asset in order to facilitate said trade. But is that going to be enough? Like, can you get Anthony Sorelli and Eric Chernak for only $3 million? Ken, I'll let you weigh in first. Likely not. Likely not. I think, I think now you're looking at a Kalorn or, you know, someone of that. You know, it's not going to be Palat. It's not going to be Andre Palat after the playoff he had. It's going to be Tyler Johnson, and it, and it, and it might be a Kalorn because a Kalorn is a guy that you don't have to give away or, or give an asset to, for someone to take, right? So that, that will be a lot less painful. Um, I believe Julian Brisebois has a plan. 
Um, I think this deal that he got Mikhail Sergachev under is a great deal for the, for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Like they did, yeah. you know, and, and to me, it just goes back to the importance of building a situation where players want to be there. You know, I mean, you know, Mikhail Sergachev took less money to stay on a really good team in a really good place where the taxes are low. You know, Steven Stamkos, when he had, when he, when he could have gone uh, anywhere as an unrestricted free agent, he, again, took eight and a half to stay in Tampa. I mean, that, that contract now is looking a little dicey, but at the time, you know, I mean, so you can do it. I mean, Louis DeBrusque signed for $3 million. Uh, or what, was it three? Jake DeBrusque. What's that? Jake, Jake DeBrusque. DeBrusque. Jake DeBrusque, yeah, it, 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 for, for three-something in, in, uh, in Boston. Like, it can be done. You know, you can get these guys to take hometown discounts. I think, you know, the uncertainty of the market is part of it as well. I think he's got a plan to keep Anthony Sorelli. I think he's got, a, he's got a plan to sign both of those guys and to shed the salary that he needs to shed. And the Tampa Bay Lightning are going to come back and be a very good team. One thing we know is that, you know, as much as people want to pound their fist on the table and say somebody should offer sheet these guys, it's not going to happen. Nobody's going to offer, offer sheet Anthony Sorelli or else it would have happened by now. Nobody was going to offer sheet Mikhail Sergachev or it would have happened by now. So they, so the Lightning and every other team that has a restricted free agent essentially has, goes into it knowing that there's not a real huge chance that their guy's going to get offer sheeted. And if he does, it's going to be like Sebastian Aho last year at, that where the offer sheet was very, very matchable. Um, so I, I think I, I'm not worried about Tampa. I think they're going to have to make some decisions. Uh, they're going to have to, there's some players that finished that played and, and lifted the Stanley cup with that team and were contributors to that team uh, for a good, for a good amount of time that are not going to be there anymore i.e. Tyler Johnson, i.e. probably Alex Kalorn, i.e. maybe another, another body or something. But I, I'm, I think they're going to be able to do it. I think, I think they're going to be just fine. Yeah. And uh, I, in a way, I feel bad for Alex Kalorn because I feel like he's always the answer because he does have a manageable salary and he's one of the few forwards that doesn't have a no trade clause on Tampa. So anytime it's like, who's Vegas going to take Alex Killorn? Or it's like, who's, who's salary are they going to shed Alex Killorn? But all the guy has done has been like a good trooper and a Stanley cup winner. And he's his name's always on there, but it, it just, it always makes sense. But um, to me, I, I, I think you're right about, you know, the offer sheets is like the guy has to want to leave too. That's the thing. I mean, if you're Anthony Sorelli, You've won one Stanley Cup. You're st- you've still got your whole career ahead of you. And, you know, you're basically getting into, like, Selkie Trophy territory already. And you know in Tampa Bay, that's a franchise that can support you in that endeavor. Like, you're in a great environment. You're on a winner. Um, I-, I just think the Sorelli, even right now, is worth, you know, at least, like, four or five million. I know he's, you know... He's an RFA and, you know, bridge deals and whatnot. Um, But, I mean, if you just look at what he's doing and what he has done for them, um, I think he's as valuable uh, as Sergachev and maybe even more um, because of where he is right now in his career. So it's going to be interesting. You know, Tampa Bay, their prospect pipeline is like, it's okay, but it's also okay because they're Tampa. And what I mean by that is, they don't need a lot of help, but if they need to stick 
and Alexander Volkov into their lineup at the end of the Stanley Cup final, they can right. do it and, and it's fine. Uh, or, you know, they can sign Alex Barre Boulay. And, you know, if he didn't work out, it's like, oh, well, that's fine. We still have the best forward core in the NHL. But if it does work out, it's like, oh, good. We have another asset that works. So I, it's going to be interesting to see what Brisebois does. He's clearly, um, you know, in the top tier of GMs in the NHL right now. And, uh, yeah, it's just a good situation there in Tampa. So let's get to the mailbag now. Got a couple of questions here. Uh, first one from Jerry. Which teams will suffer the most financially if there are no fans in the stands? Uh, is there any owner that could potentially sell? Uh, and would the NHL help any teams out financially? Uh, Ken, I'll let you go first. Well, um, okay, that's three questions. Uh, the question is- Answer the ones you want to. Yeah, the, well, the first question, uh, which teams are gonna be harmed the most? Um, it's hard to say. I mean, the, you would say that, you know, you would, you would think that the, the big market teams that, that fill their buildings and have high ticket prices would be the ones that are going to hurt the most because, because of this, because, you know, they, they've got a product and, and no one's going to be paying to watch it. Um, however, there is revenue sharing in the NHL and there ain't going to be revenues to share this year. So it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt a lot of the small market teams as well. It's really going to pinch them because they're going to come with their hand out. The NHL is going to say, uh, not sure if you noticed, but we lost money this year. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's, it's going to be, it's going to be tough for everybody. It's, and I, and I'm not bailing on the answer, but it's going to be really, really difficult for everybody if there's no fans in the stands. Um, you know, I mean, anywhere between 70 to 75% of NHL revenues are derived from the playing of the games and people showing up at the games. So that, that includes, you know, the, the, the ticket prices, sponsorship, um, you know, parking concessions, uh, you know, merchandising, all that stuff, 75% of their revenues are tied into that. So, I mean, you're looking now, you know, I've heard anywhere that, that revenues are going to be maybe, maybe 1.5 billion this year, projected in a normal year to be five, they're going to maybe be 1.5 billion this year. You're talking about paying the players still, that's $2 billion. It's probably cost another billion or billion and a half just to put the season on. Um, so, you know, do the math. <laughs> that's why the, that's why the NHL and the NHL Players Association are at this standstill right now. Um, so I, I, I do think that everybody's going to hurt from this. I think the big teams are going to hurt more, but the small teams are not going to get out of this unscathed either because they are not going to get revenue sharing money like they've gotten in the past. Um, will an owner be forced to sell? Not sure now would be a good time to sell your team. Um, I don't think franchise values would be going through the roof right now. So I wouldn't expect that anybody would sell. And will the NHL step in to help? Well, the NHL does help, like I said, in terms of revenue sharing. And they also have lines of credit that, that, uh, that owners can, can access uh, where they can get money at a fairly low interest rate. Uh, you know, so if they do have a case of the shorts and they need, you know, there's a cash flow problem, you know, they're not going to get free money and they're not going to get interest-free money, but they can access money through the NHL, through the NHL's credit line. That would be at a very significantly reduced interest rate. So hope that helps. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about certain teams in different situations. Um, 
you know, you, you think about Ottawa, a team where attendance has already been a, an, an issue lately. Um, this would be kind of tough. And, you know, Eugene Melnick typically doesn't like to spend a lot of money if he can help it. Um, so this would only exacerbate that problem. I also wonder on the other end of the spectrum, I wonder if Vegas would actually take a bit of a hit because if you think about it, you know, they're all, they've only been in the league a couple of years and they've had, you know, incredible success on the ice in the stands, but they are, they do have all that expansion fee money that you have to consider in the, in the grand scheme of things. And obviously they have a lot of money, but you know, you, you're still working off that 600 million or whatever it was uh, just to get into the league. Um, so, I, and I, you know, I, I, I agree. I don't think anybody's going to sell, but uh, I, I think certain teams are going to want to get on the ice sooner than later and, and, and get fans in the stands sooner than later. Um, perhaps I'm wrong on that, but those are just the names that kind of pop to mind. Um, next question from Boreal Ninja, uh, who I assume is a lumberjack of some sort. Who do you project to be the most improved club compared to last year in terms of points percentage or whatever metric we want to use? Ken, I'll let you go first. I'm going to go with the Buffalo Sabres. Um, I think there's some good things happening there. Um, you know, obviously signing, signing Taylor Hall to the, to the uh, one-year deal, getting, getting Eric Stahl to sort of shore up the middle of the ice uh, for them as well. I think, uh, you know, I think, I think they have a chance to, you know, to move the needle a little bit and to maybe get out of this quagmire that they've been in. Will they be the most improved team in the league? And, you know, I, I think they have a, they have the, they, there, there's a possibility. I, you know, I, everything I'm hearing from Jack Eichel is coming. It's all positive. Like, you know, the, he gets a big fat lip lots of times and, you know, he's dragging that around when they're not doing well, but, you know, in the off season, he seems to be pretty pumped about, you know, the changes they made and, and how that's going to help him and help them. So I'll go with the Buffalo Sabres. Nice. I was going to go Buffalo and then I chickened out because of their goaltending yeah. and the fact that it's basically, it's the same goaltending as last year and the defense still spooked me a bit, but I was definitely thinking Buffalo. Um, I went with Winnipeg instead and I'm going over the idea of points percentage because they, you know, they bring in Paul Stastny and then you get a full season of Dylan DeMello. You know, they got him at the deadline, so they only had partial DeMello. Um, and then you get Derek Forbort, who can be, a, a, you know, a decent top six defenseman. You also have Dylan Sandberg and Billy Hainala. Producer Steven's booing me. I don't know why. Um, you have Sandberg and Hainala. Uh, Hanel is on fire over in Finland right now on his loan. So I, I don't think the Jets defense is going to be the mess that it was last year. Uh, so with that in mind, I'm going to go with Winnipeg. Uh, next question is from Slick Dude. More of a fun question. What do you guys do to stay entertained without NHL hockey during COVID? Wow. Okay. Well, first of all, that Winnipeg thing that you were talking about, I think the biggest thing that's going to help them is they're playing in the Canadian division against uh, all Canadian teams. And I, th I think that'll really help them uh, as opposed to playing in the central, which is a bit tougher. Um, what do I do during COVID? Um, well, like I said, I was watching old hockey games, but man, they suck some of those old games. Wow. It's, 
It's incredible. Um, I, I, uh, I try to stay fit. I, uh, I have my old man workout that I do. I've got some weights downstairs. I go out for runs. I go on my elliptical machine. I've been started reading Barack Obama's book, which is uh, excellent, which I would, uh, which I would uh, recommend to anybody. So doing a lot more reading, you know, watch doing Netflix like everybody else, uh, trying to do some other projects on the side, working on some, uh, some uh, some books that uh, that I wouldn't have had the time otherwise to write and to research, uh, doing some of that, uh, spending a lot of time with my wife and just sort of, you know, doing family things over Zoom and, uh, but boy, oh boy, I, I feel it most at a, between five and seven o'clock on Saturday nights. That's when I feel it the most. Because to me, it wasn't just the game, it was the build-up to the game that I liked, you know? Just knowing that, oh, yeah, okay, I've done all my stuff for today. I can watch the game tonight or I can go down to the game tonight or whatever. You know, it was just kind of that build-up and, and you just don't have it anymore. <laughs> mm, fair enough. I, on the other hand, have not been bettering myself at all. Um, although I should say that I, I actually have been watching a lot of hockey um, because USHL, NHL uh, are both on. Um, also, you know, before they took the hiatus, uh, you know, Alberta Junior A League, BC uh, Junior A League, I was watching those leagues as well. Even the, uh, the Czech League uh, has been on Hockey TV. So I've been watching a bit of Czech League because they've got some prospects for 2021. Shout out to uh, Kometa Berno. Uh, that's the team I've been watching the most because they got a couple of kids. Uh, also, I've been playing a lot of Nintendo Switch. Um, I'm back into Tetris, and I actually won one of the uh, online, the Tetris 99, where you play against other people. I actually won. I came first, and that unlocked a brand new Tetris game, so that was exciting. And then Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity. Um, I'm really into that right now. That's the new uh, Zelda game. So, yeah, I've been playing video games and just watching other hockey. That's basically it. But uh, it's a good segue into our final mailbag question from David Hartland. Uh, what do you guys miss the most about covering hockey games in person right now? So, Ken, you can start off. I think it's the same thing that players miss when they retire. They don't necessarily miss playing the games. They miss going to the rink and being around their teammates and, and that sort of thing. And that, that's probably what I miss, too. I mean, I've been in the business for a long time. I've got a lot of good friends that work for other uh, other news outlets uh you know fewer and fewer all the time but still i i think it was just it just the, just the showing up at the games and 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 again uh it's yeah the painful plastic chairs at the acc that's what steve that's what steven or not the acc but the scotia bank arena that's what uh, steven producer steven suggested but but you know just the whole sort of aura of being around hockey you know like you walk into the into the Scotiabank Center on a Saturday or Tuesday night or whatever you walk in you can smell the old money when you walk in uh and then <laughs> but no but seriously you go to the press room you you kibitz with everybody you have a, you know have a meal chat with some of your friends chat between periods you know watch the games like and then you go for beers after sometimes I know you don't do that a lot Ryan but I, I do actually and with uh, some of the other people in the media and just being around them, I think, is is the thing that I miss the most. Um, you know, just sort of the camaraderie, same as the players. Mm. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely, you know, you get that social aspect of being around your peers and just kind of gossiping and, you know, 
trash talking and, and being at the rink and having ice cream cones and, and whatnot. The other thing that I, I've always enjoyed, and it, it sort of hits that same thing with the aura, is just being in the bowels of hockey arenas. Like getting to go where most other people aren't allowed to go is, uh, is very fun, um, especially on the road, because inevitably the media entrance is the exact opposite side of wherever you have approached the arena. So like I walk all the way around like every rink. I do not want to. It's just that's what happens because I always show up on the wrong side. And just, you know, like figuring out the little, you know, like where you're supposed to go and, you know, seeing everybody that works behind the scenes and, and, and seeing those new rinks and, uh, and just sort of taking in the whole energy. Um, yeah, very much, very much like uh, what you were saying, just that, that the whole vibe is uh is great in you know whether it's nhl or junior or wherever um it's very fun it's a definitely a a big perk of the job so hopefully we get back to that soon we're gonna wrap up with a rapid fire ken i hope you're ready i think this is going to be a fun one you will answer first Uh, we are going to start off right now price is right or let's make a deal and i'm talking current not historical Oh, wow. I don't know the current ones. Historical. Oh, it's go historical. Okay. Historical, it's, it's Price is Right, for sure. Yeah. Let's make a deal with all those stupid costumes that people used to wear and the wah, 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 and all that. Yeah, no, I, I, it was okay. It was hosted by Monty Hall, who's, who's Canadian, so you got to like that. Um, but, you know, who can beat Bob Barker, right? And, and I guess now, is it Drew Carey that hosts it now? Drew Carey, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I always used to like when people would guess and they'd, 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 they'd like screw the other person by like bidding $1 more than they did. Like I, I would probably get in a fight with somebody if they did that to me on that show. But yeah, I guess price is right for me. There you go. I'm actually, because I'm talking current, I have found that during the pandemic, now that I am home for lunch, <laughs> Let's Make a Deal has become this amazing salve on my life. It's very soothing because it's hosted by Wayne Brady now. Okay. And uh, everybody, I, I find that it's not, it's not as cutthroat as Price is Right. People can't really bid over each other. And people are, I just find people are very supportive and uh, perhaps like naively hopeful uh, that they're going to like win the car if they can roll the dice like, yeah, you know, six times in a row or whatever. Uh, so I'm actually, I mean, I'm sure going to go, let's make a deal on that one. Uh, next question, who wins a Stanley Cup first, Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews? Ooh. Connor McDavid. Mm. Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid? Because he's going to get dealt to Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> Very yeah, I'll, I'll go Connor. I'll go Connor. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of feeling it's going to be Connor McDavid too. Uh, next question. Spiders in your basement. Kill them or leave them alone? Uh, neither. Take them and, and put them outside. But don't kill them. Oh. Yeah, no. Good no, that's what I do. I just, I take them. I get the uh, get the tissue paper. I get it all around there, and then I just sort of let let it go outside, and you know, be free, be free, live, contribute to the uh, to the food chain and the ecosystem, and uh, away we go. Ah, a very nice answer. Of course, you're wrong. Leave them alone because they eat the other insects in your basement. We uh, we have to take a lesson from the 1980s arcade game Centipede. The spider can sometimes be helpful because he eats the mushrooms for you. Uh, moving on. Uh, would you rather be isolated in a bubble for two weeks or cover a week-long NHL All-Star game? 
Oh, God. Uh, I, I mean, I have to go with the All-Star game now because I'm just so desperate for anything that resembles hockey. Um, you know, but if I could watch hot, like good hockey on TV, I'd take the bubble. <laughs> I thought you might. I would go with the All-Star game because I, I actually enjoy it. Uh, but I knew you would, uh, you would go the other way. <laughs> Final question. When it's all said and done and we can finally, finally travel freely, you're in Montreal. Is the first thing you eat a hot dog, a bagel, or Schwartz's? The uh, the hot dogs at the uh, at the Bell Center, and and I'm and I am going to when I go back to my first game at the Bell Center, I'm going to work out like crazy in the morning. I'm not going to eat all day, and I'm going to show up there and I'm going to try to hit double figures with those mm. hot dogs. I will I will tell you this during the during the World Juniors, uh, just because of time and everything, I had nine of them in three days. It was not a good idea. It was too much. Uh, I would go Schwartz's. Uh, I just love that place. Smoked meat at its best. Um, but hot dogs in Montreal, also fantastic. Uh, there's La Belle Provence as well that does great hot dogs. Uh, that's all the time we have for Rapid Fire. Thanks for playing, Ken. That's the end of the podcast. Thanks for producing, Stephen. Matt Larkin will be back with us next week. We're out of here.